The following content has been provided by RWTH Aachen University. Design thinking is really a collection of different techniques that have been around for a long time. Um, I've started teaching um, designing interactive systems in its very, very early form in, I think, 98. Um, I then spent two years at Stanford in 2001 and 2002 um, and you know, expanded the class. And um, later on, the, the folks at Stanford basically took a lot of the things that have been originating at, at that university over the years um, and coined the term design thinking and used it as an umbrella for a number of techniques. But it's really a technique that if you talk to a product designer, interaction designer, they've been taught for a long time. And this highly iterative nature of, of the design process is, is at, the, you know, at the heart of design thinking. And that's been around much longer than the term. Still, I highly encourage you to read up a little <coughs> on design thinking, find out more about it. There are some quick starts online that you can find out. Uh, the, the, the materials by the D School at Stanford, for example, since that's where the, the term originated, um, are quite useful. I taught some of the classes there that were basically going through the practice of, of doing this, although like I said, it wasn't called design thinking at the time. Um, so design thinking is a, um, an iterative process. This is important, although these things seem to suggest the waterfall model. They really um, are meant as an iterative cycle. So you go back between these phases again and again. And again, you see a lot of things in here that remind you of the DIA cycle, right? Not surprisingly. Um, the first step here, empathize, as it's called in design thinking, um, means understanding your, your user base, um, finding out what matters to these people, what is actually, again, root cause analysis, right? Really understanding what is, the, what is going on. Then defining their needs and uh, understanding the problem is further root cause analysis and digging deeper into what is the problem I should be solving, so finding the problem rather than solving the problem. Um, then you get to a stage of ideation, so idea development, um, creating lots of ideas. And that's where wild ideas are encouraged more than just you know, your standard stuff. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, you've already talked about the brainstorming in the, in, the, um, uh, in the lab sessions. We'll quickly review this here for the class. And uh, then comes the prototyping phase where you build something to show your idea um, as a rough draft, and then you do that, of course, to test it, right? Otherwise, why would you build a prototype? Um, so you create the prototype in order to test it with users to find out what worked and what didn't work. And once you've done that, you go back. Maybe you go back to developing more ideas. Uh, maybe you go back to redefining and, and further digging into what is actually the problem, or maybe even revisiting your, um, you know, am I empathizing uh, with the user? Am I really understanding the user and their needs in the right way? So this is a typical sort of almost iconic uh, picture that you'll find if you Google design thinking. This kind of image comes up in all kinds of variations. And it's really helpful to read up on those. Um, now, the first three questions uh, that you normally should be asking as you, um, as you get into uh, a designing an interactive system um, are three kinds. And um, this used to be just two. Uh, up until a couple of years ago, and then I realized that we actually need to start thinking um, more broadly because, um, well, I'll explain that when I get to the third question. The first question is, you know, who are my users? So 
We've covered in the first part of the class this general stuff that always applies to humans, right? You know, uh, memory, performance, and all those kinds of things, the seven stages of action. That's universal for anybody. But when you design an actual, actual system, um, you need to find out who your actual user base is. So when, when people ask me when I'm consulting for companies and they say, like, uh, so you, know, you give us these like, you know, general rules here, how much can I cover with these? It's like, I can, you can probably get your interface about 30% like, right uh, with using generic rules that always apply, but the rest, the, the bigger part of the 70%, you need to understand your specific case, what your user base actually needs. Um, and it's very tempting to say, oh, my system is going to work for everybody. Um, but that is very hard to design right. Uh, it'll probably only work okay-ish for a lot of people and not at all for, for others. So you got to be more specific there. Um, the second question is, what do those users want to do with the system? So what is it that they actually want to do? Um, to give you an example, um, when you take a, a smartphone and you say, like, what, what are the tasks that you do with, uh, with your smartphone? One of the things might be that say, well, I uh, synchronize my, uh, I, I back it up regularly on, on, in the cloud or on my computer. I'd say, that's probably not why you bought a smartphone, so that you finally have a device that you can back up, right? That's not your original goal. You bought it to do stuff, like to, I don't know, go online, you know, whatever, talk to friends, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to fall into the trap of taking technical necessities, or what we think are technical necessities, um, as the actual task, when that's really not what people really want to do. So understand exactly what people want to do. Um, and um, those, were the, those used to be the only two things that I would, would ask everybody to remember. So when I like, shake you awake at night at 3 a.m., it's like, you have to design a new system. What are your first three questions? You've got to go like, who are the users? What are the tasks? Right? You have to know this off the top of your head. But this used to be perfectly fine you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, when we mostly really were designing for the screen, where we were designing for you know, desktop applications, essentially. Maybe, you know, maybe stuff that was on the web, but basically, anytime you were using it, you were essentially at a keyboard with a mouse and a screen in front of you. But that's changed, right? I mean, we now interact mostly, or a lot, with our smartphones, with you know, smart watches, wearable devices, whatnots. Um, so the environment in which we do this interaction actually becomes really important. Um, in the, uh, the iPhone class, I, I mentioned this example, I think. Um, the big difference about designing mobile applications is that when you design a desktop application, you don't have to think about your user getting run over by a bus while they're using your system. When you're designing a mobile app, that is a, you know, an actual real danger. Right? So this is a very different context. And so the context where people are using their phone to do stuff is, is very broad. They could be you know, at home, on the couch. They could be walking down the street. They could be on the bus or in the subway, whatever. Uh, they could be at work. So the context of use, what is the environment where people use the system, is becoming more important. OK, so those are, those are the three sort of magic question, if you, questions. If you nail those, um, you've actually probably solved the most difficult part of the problem. A lot of projects fail because these questions have not been answered right at the beginning. 
and you can see this is about you know empathizing. So this like you know, phase one of the or like um, process one of the uh, design thinking um, framework, and it's about the definition of the actual problem. So the this uh, phase two of the design thinking process. And this may be hard to accept as a, you know, as a computer scientist, but this actually requires asking, right? You actually may have to talk to people to find out. Um, so that's something that you'll have to get used to because, it's, 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 again, it's tempting to just you know, retreat and build your system uh, and think that you understand the user base and you know what they're doing, um, but you really don't. Uh, a, a couple of months ago, I went to a... Uh, let's call them a large German automobile manufacturer, um, and was asked to review an internal software that they were using in their in their business processes. And um, I start. I said, like, yeah, I can review the software, but I need to see an actual user using this. And I said, yeah, we don't know why that would be important, but okay. And I looked over the shoulder of this person using the software as it currently was. Um, and I think we did this for like maybe an hour or so. So it wasn't very long, but it was amazing, right? So they started up the software, and there came up a screen, an initial form screen with like lots of things to fill in, and he immediately clicked that away. And I was like, uh, what was that? And he said, oh, yeah, that's, like, that's a mask to fill in data, but you don't really need it to, to get to the core part of the software that I need for my daily business, so I never bothered doing that. It turns out you were supposed to fill in lots of data in there, so that all your work that you did in the software would get uploaded to a central repository so others could share your information you know, immediately. But none of the people who were using the software were actually doing that. They just clicked away that mask and stored the data locally. It never was shared with the other people. But that was the fastest way for them to get their job done. And when we talked about that with the software development team who had written the software, which was part of the same company, right? This was internal software. They were outraged. They were like, what do you mean you don't upload your results to the central repository? That's terrible. You shouldn't do that. And so those are the kinds of things that you only see when you actually observe users and you find out what they are actually doing. So you need to ask these questions, and you will be surprised um, you know, at finding out what people actually do with your system and what the actual issues are in everyday use. This content was provided by RWTH, Aachen University.